Amen. Why don't you go ahead and grab your seats and uh, get your Bibles open to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We're getting into the, uh, the third message of our five-part gospel series here this morning. And if you're thinking right now, hey, it kind of seems like we've been in Romans quite a bit lately. Uh, if you've been thinking that, you would be absolutely correct. Okay, Romans has long been considered by many uh, pastors and theologians to be the most important book ever written. Most important book ever written. Okay, I heard of, uh, of a well-known pastor once who took uh, eight years to teach the book of Romans to his church. Eight years. Okay, the book of Romans unpacks the gospel in more detail and more precision than any other uh, book in the Bible. Okay, it's nothing short of a masterpiece. And so that's why we would look at it uh, to the, for this series on uh, what the gospel is all about. Okay, that's why we go to the book of Romans. And you remember uh, three weeks ago, Pastor Todd uh, started out in Romans chapter 1, kind of laying the foundation of what the gospel uh, is. And uh, our first word, of course, and that our salvation begins with Almighty Creator God. All right, this God uh, who made everything okay, and created everyone to long for a soul-satisfying relationship with him. Okay, but last week we saw, of course, through Romans 3.23, that uh, there's a problem to that equation, right? There's a big-time problem. No one uh, automatically has a relationship with God, right? Every once in a while, I'll hear someone's uh, testimony, and they'll say something like, well, you know, I kind of just always knew God. You know, I always grew up knowing the Lord. Uh, no, no, you didn't. Okay, because uh, your sin, our sin, it wrecked all of that. And so sin was the second word that we looked at uh, last Sunday. Okay, our sin acts as a, as a barrier that needs to be torn down. It needs to be torn down if we want, ever want to have any hope of a restored relationship with our creator. Okay, but here's the thing. Okay, we can't fix it. Okay, we're powerless to do uh, anything about it whatsoever. Only God can. And so, by the way, um, good job last week for, uh, for pressing through, right? Pressing through uh, the hard word that we had to talk through on sin. And if you want to just turn to your neighbor right now and just give him a high five. I'm not kidding. High five, nice and up top there. Good job. We made it through uh, a lot of the hard part. Uh, high five's got to come back to church, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they were ever here, but let's bring them back. All right, so this morning we're going to be talking, or tackling rather, our third word. Okay, our third word is substitution. And simply put, this is the idea that God provided a solution to our problem. Okay, he sent his son, uh, Jesus Christ, to die and to take our punishment on himself. He took our punishment on himself. And John Stott wrote this once. I love this. Uh, Though the sins were ours, the death was his. Profound, right? That's exactly what substitution is all about. So if last week was uh, kind of like the bad news part of the gospel and sin, uh, this week is definitely getting to the good news part, right? Phew, right? We're getting to the good stuff here. Uh, Jesus is our rescuer, right? He is the hero of the story. He's the protagonist. Okay, but let me just say this before we get too high in the sky here. Um, just because uh, substitution is considered good news, it doesn't mean that any of this is necessarily going to be easy. Okay, in fact, um, 
Many people, because of pride in their lives, will still decide that substitution is just more bad news. Uh, so you're saying that in order to get right with God, I, uh, I need Jesus in my life? Uh, no thanks. Pass. You know, I'm going to go it alone, thank you very much. Don't need that guy. Right? That's what we can um, get like in our pride. In fact, our pride, let's be clear about this, our pride can make any one of these five words that we're going through here in this series, any one of these five words, uh, bad news. It can seem like bad news. Now, uh, before all the believers in the room here uh, start to think this is simply the typical response of an unsaved person, uh, it's not. Okay, every day, Christians are confronted with, uh, with choices like whether or not to rely on Christ's substitution or not. You know, am I really going to trust that Jesus paid it all? Right, we sang a lot about that kind of thing already this morning. Am I going to trust in that, that, that it's done, that substitution was enough, it's complete? You know, or am I just going to kind of pretend like I live by that truth, that I believe in that Okay, but practically speaking, maybe go about my day uh, just sort of um, acting as though I believe it. You know, kind of leaning on my good behavior or on my performance to God. Trying to, to show God how good I am. Hey God, look at me. Look what I'm doing for you. Uh, show me approval. Love me. Okay, am I trying to earn a salvation that's already been earned for me? Okay, so knowing what substitution is up here is part of the battle. Okay, we're going to be going for that this morning. Okay, but also functionally or practically from our hearts and with our lives living in light of its truth. Okay, that's the direction we're going in. So let's, uh, let's get to the passage. Okay, Romans chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 6. We're going to be reading down to verse 11. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies and we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that... We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray. God, it is, uh, it's an honor to be able to be here before you and to uh, worship you uh, in such great spirit and truth like just happened. Um, Lord, it's also a blessing to be able to crack open our Bibles and to dive into such a phenomenal book like Romans and unpack exactly your plan of salvation for us. And so God, this morning, as we get into this, Lord, would you make it real clear um, the things that we need to know, we need to take away uh, here today. Lord, I pray again, as we've been praying, and we will continue to pray for anyone in here who does not yet know Jesus Christ that today they would put their faith in him, that they would recognize that Jesus stood in the gap. Uh, you bore our shame, bore our sin in your body, took the punishment for us. God, speak to us here this morning. Fall on us, fall in this place in power, Lord. Show us your glory. We're going to continue to pray these things, Lord. Do what only you can do here in your church. Let's change lives. 
Do it here this morning, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so you guys ready? All right, we've got a theologically uh, thick passage ahead of us here this morning, um, all about God's solution to our uh, sin dilemma, okay? And, and that, that, that is that Christ died in our place. Okay, so here's the first part, if you're following along in your notes. Uh, Though we were helplessly estranged, okay, helplessly estranged, okay, so we know from, uh, from last week, of course, that our sin uh, separates us from God, right? Can't be in a relationship with him. Uh, sin's kind of wrecking all that. Well, verse 6, okay, in Romans chapter 5, it kind of further flushes out this idea, all right? It tells us a little more about what this separation uh, means, and, and it's kind of like a, a refresher a little bit for us on what our sin uh, really does to us and means for us, okay? So let's take a look at verse 6 again. Okay, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, Okay, so, so he's making it clear here, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the, the book of Romans, he's making it real clear here uh, that our sin makes us uh, weak, right? It says the word weak there. It also uses the word ungodly. Those would be really good uh, words to kind of highlight there in your Bible. That word weak, uh, it, can, it can also mean helpless or powerless, okay? Depending on the translation that you have in front of you, it might use those words, Okay, so our sin has rendered us completely unable to fix ourselves. And so I want you to picture uh, a turtle for a second. Okay, you got that in your mind? Okay, a turtle flipped over on its back and, and flailing desperately, trying, trying so hard to right its position and flip back over. Okay, you got that in your mind? Okay, well, that's basically what our sin does. Okay, our sin makes us completely unable to right our position back to being on good terms uh, with the Lord. Yeah, that word uh, ungodly there uh, means that we are thoroughly unlike God because uh, of sin. Okay, so God is holy and we're not. Okay, our sin has thoroughly, totally corrupted our nature. And if you were to uh, read down kind of through this passage, uh, just look at it real quickly. Verse 8, uh, Paul uses the word sinners. Okay, and in verse 10, if you keep going, he says that um, our sin has made us enemies of God. Okay, those would also be two good words for you to circle. Okay, that word enemies there is a really uh, important word to know because it kind of peels back another layer of, uh, of what our sin does. Okay, we're not just like these helpless people who, who simply uh, made a mistake. Like, oh, oh, fiddlesticks, you know, wish I hadn't done that. You know, like we like spilled some milk or something. Okay, it's, it's a lot more serious than that. Okay, we're not just these like clumsy victims Okay, our sin has put us at odds uh, with our maker. Okay, we're helpless to do anything, um, and at the same time, we're, we're estranged, estranged from the Lord. You know, our pride, it kind of locks us in this, in this battle royale, so to speak, with the Lord over, you know, who's going to occupy uh, the throne in our lives? Is it going to be uh, me? And am I going to be at the helm of that ship? Or, uh, or is it going to be the Lord? Now, who's going to get the upper hand? Okay, and this is our sin and what our, our pride continually does when it comes up against, when it comes face to face with the authority and, uh, and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Okay, so why would Paul go into all of this at this point? You know, haven't, haven't we heard enough? You know, it's, it's chapter five. He's already gone through and, and, he's, and he's talked through a lot about how uh, we're completely sinners and and. and and morally bankrupt, you know, he's gone into that whole idea. So, so why, why would he kind of keep 
uh, driving that nail here? Uh, why would he keep doing it? Okay, well, well, on one hand, uh, it's the truth about us, and uh, we need to hear it more than once, right? We need to hear it more than once, or we forget that we're sinners and pride takes over. And so Paul, he's making sure that when it comes to sin, we get it loud and clear. Okay, we're, we're helplessly estranged. So my, uh, my relationship with God, apart from Jesus Christ, uh, is done. It's toast. Uh, in the toilet, uh, my fault, uh, guilty as charged. Okay, all of that. So Paul, he's making that clear. But on the other hand, uh, Paul lets us know how warped we are because uh, he's starting to set up how in light of all of that, okay, Christ's substitutionary death on the cross is nothing short of astounding. Okay, and he's sort of building a story for us here. We're starting to paint a picture for us. Uh, so let's take a look at uh, all of that and just kind of see through verse 6 how he unfolds all this. Okay, in verse 6, he says, uh, at the right time, okay, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Okay, so this refers to the, the perfect timing okay, in which God decided to unleash his rescue mission on the world. Now, let me back up for a second. Let me uh, explain a, a little bit of this and give you some background. Okay, before uh, God the Father could send his son Jesus uh, into the world through um, to save people from sin, rather, and to live that perfect life, okay, before all of that, okay, God decided that his... Uh, that his people Israel, so these are the people that he chose to reveal himself through to the rest of the world. God decided that his people Israel needed to live under the oversight of the law for a period of time. The law. Okay, and I, and I would encourage you, if you want to hear a little bit more about the law's purpose and what's that all about, uh, take a look at the book of Galatians. Paul wrote that one too. And he explains just the role of the law uh, in our lives. Okay, so the law... Which God initiated through uh, the Ten Commandments and Rome and uh, Moses. You guys remember that, right? Initiated it through Him, and then uh, later He develops it uh, more thoroughly, to say the least, through the Book of Leviticus. Okay, the law's purpose was to show God's people how sinful they really were. You realize that? That's the purpose of the law. Okay, so many people um, wonder, you know, what, what's up with all the rules in the Old Testament? What's up with that book of, of Leviticus? And we're kind of, we treat Leviticus kind of so funny, don't we? You know, you, you talk to a, to a friend of yours and you're like, hey, you know, what are you reading in scripture these days? And they're like, well, you know, I'm reading in through Leviticus. You know, what's your reaction to that? Exactly. Oh, like, like their dog died or something like that. You know, but we feel guilty really about that too. So what do we tag on to the end? But yeah, but it's still God's word. It's great. You know, you'll do well. We all have our cross to bear. Okay, so people, like, they're like, what's up with the law? You know, what's up with Leviticus? And why, why so specific on what's, on what's sin? Yeah, like, why, are we not, uh, why were the people not even allowed to wear, like, two different pieces of material in clothing? We're like, why, how is that sin? Yeah, a lot of people are like, what's up with the Old Testament in general? You ever thought about that? You know why, after Adam sinned, didn't Jesus just come and take care of that right away? You ever think about that? Why, why this like couple thousand years of difficulty, right? And hardship and brutality at times. Like why all that? Why this time gap between it all? Okay, well, if, if God just sent his son Jesus 
uh, right after Adam and Eve sinned, uh, we probably wouldn't have really appreciated all that it took to save us, right? We wouldn't have. It's kind of like uh, good parents, right? Good parents don't just give their kids everything they want whenever they want it. If so, my kids would be eating candy 24-7, right? We, we give it to them uh, slowly. We give them good things. Oh, so they learn how to appreciate it. And I think we need to learn that. People need to learn that. We, we also need to learn uh, just really what our sin was and the weight of that. Okay, if Christ came right away, we probably wouldn't have appreciated that. Okay, we also needed to see kind of just how holy uh, God was. And so uh, the law, God put the law in place to show Israel and ultimately to show us uh, just what his standard is. He wanted to show us how holy he was. And so the basic purpose of the law is to show us how impossible it is to obey it. it. Really is. Okay, so the world, okay, it had to live under the rule or under the government, if you will, uh, of the law for a time, for a period of time, until uh, God saw fit in his sovereignty, okay, to send Christ at the right time, it says, as the only one who could satisfy the law's demands on our behalf. Okay, it happened in the perfect timing, according to God the Father. Now, if you want to apply this uh, to yourself personally, okay, Christ saved you from your sins, brought you into a relationship with him at the right time or exactly when you were ready. Okay, when the law had accomplished its purpose in your life, when you saw just how clearly you needed him, when you saw how much sin there was in your life and how uh, you couldn't get rid of all of that. When you were done making excuses, when you, when you realized your desperation, when you were ready to receive and appreciate this gift of salvation, that's when God saved you at the right time. And so that's really why it's just so important uh, that we see our sin for what it is and that we understand all that. And until you and I, we get to that place, uh, we're never uh, really going to think that we need Jesus to save us from anything, right? We unpacked a lot of that uh, last week. Okay, so again, helplessly estranged. That's what our sin makes us. Okay, and if this is uh, what we are in sin, then not why would Christ die for us? Why would he do it? Well, that's the second thing. Okay, it's because of his love. It's because of his love. Okay, though we were a, uh, a total basket case because of our sin, a total disaster, okay, God revealed uh, just how much he loves us. Okay, take a look at verse 7 here. Verse 7. It says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, okay, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners. Okay, let's cut it off right there for a second. What's this all about? Okay, well, what Paul's saying here essentially is that uh, it's very, very rare Okay, for a person to sacrifice himself to save the life of another person whom he thinks has high character. Okay, it's really, really rare for that. Okay, well, it's even more rare for a person to sacrifice himself to save the life of a scumbag. Okay, it's even more rare. Okay, put it this way. Okay, I'm blessed to have a, uh, a couple of really, really great friends in my life. Okay, a, a small handful of guys that I could go to 
uh, with just about anything and admit all my junk and, and not going to be uh, judged and, and all of that. Okay, great guys, and uh, I love them dearly. Okay, but given a chance to die for these guys, okay, I, I honestly, okay, I, I honestly can't stand here and confidently 100% say for sure I'd do it. Maybe I would. I, I hope I would. Okay, but, but maybe I'd wuss out. I don't know. Maybe I'd turn and run. In the heat of the moment, I mean, who knows? And I think if you were to look honestly at yourself, uh, you would probably admit the same thing. If you're given the, the same type of opportunity uh, with people that you love and you regard highly. Okay, but I can tell you this. Okay, that guy that uh, broke into my van a little while back while it was in my driveway and stole my sunglasses, okay? Uh, Not exactly lining up to take a bullet for that guy, okay? I love those sunglasses. They were nice. Okay, the point to all this? Okay, well, maybe we would die for a decent person. Maybe. Uh, Extremely unlikely to die for a total jerk. Okay, it's just, it's the honest truth. Okay, but Christ, okay, Jesus... He loved us enough to die for us when we were well beyond the point of being total jerks to him, right? The the, the scripture here says enemies spitting all kinds of evil uh, in his direction. Okay, that's the love of our God. And I enjoy this. John MacArthur writes, uh, God was so inclined to love us when we were enemies. And that is our security and assurance. Saved, we can never be as wretched as we were before salvation, and he loved us totally then. Listen, God's love, it is more extreme, more intense, profound, uh, more undeserving than any of us here, every single person, any of us here in this room, uh, fully grasp. Okay, the truth is, um, we could spend the rest of our lives meditating on these couple of verses here. And, and never get to the depths of God's love, right? We wouldn't, we would never be able to completely grasp it. And that right there is a pretty good insight into how awesome the gospel really is. But God, of course, he revealed his love to us. He, he pulls back the curtain and he's like, here it is. You know, this is the length I'm willing to go th- uh, to for you. Hey, the people who hate me, I'm willing to give up my own son for you. That's the third thing this morning. And that's what the rest of verse eight says. Take a look at that. The last four words, verse eight, Christ died for us. There it is, right? Substitution. The words, uh, the word for uh, literally means on behalf, on behalf of. Now I think, um, when you read something like this and you study something like this, I think one of the biggest questions that comes out is, uh, is why, you know, why? I mean, we see that, that, that Jesus, God did it because because he loves us, right? We see the love there and we've already taken a look at all of that, but why did Christ have to die? You ever wondered that? Like, you know, why didn't God just keep the whole sacrificial system going? So that way, at least it was only animals that kept dying, right? Peter wouldn't be too happy about that. Uh, but who cares, right? Like, why, why wouldn't God just, just do that? 
right? It seemed like it was working out um, okay. Um, well, a couple of verses here to help us uh, understand that Christ had to die. You can write these down if you want. Okay, the first one, Matthew 26, 39. Matthew 26, 39, you remember uh, Jesus, he was in, uh, in the garden. This is right before the passion, right before he was going to uh, be led away to the cross. He's with his disciples and he's telling them to stay awake and pray. And he is praying uh, to his father. And this is what he says, father, if it is possible, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. All right. So the fact that uh, Jesus always prayed according to the will of his father. And, uh, and the fact that he did go to the cross uh, leads us to believe that it was not possible uh, for him to avoid death, right? It wasn't. According to God, Jesus had to die. How about Luke 24, 26? Luke 24, 26. Okay, and this is, uh, this is before uh, the disciples had seen the risen Christ. He had already rose from the grave and uh, the disciples, they were walking along the road together. You remember this? And they were chatting and uh, Jesus was actually in the middle of their group, but they were kept from recognizing him. And uh, he, they were really sad, right? They were, they were kind of mourning his death. They didn't realize that he was alive. And he says to them kind of in the middle of their conversation, he says, was it not necessary? See that word necessary. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? Okay, and then he explains to them um, how the Old Testament prophets predicted that a Messiah would come and die. Okay, but again, back to animals. You know, why, why not them? Why didn't we stick with that game plan? Maybe the sacrificial system should have remained. Well, Hebrews uh, 10 verse 4 puts a stop to that kind of thinking. It says, uh, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It's impossible. Okay, so, so animals taking away the sins of people was never the intention, ever. Okay, animal sacrifice uh, served as a very real reminder to Israel that, that sin equals death. Okay, they were a symbol. They were foreshadowing Christ, the Lamb of God, you know, who would come and take away past, present, and future sins uh, forever. Okay, that's what Hebrews 10.4 says. Here's what Hebrews 2.17 says. It says, therefore, he had to be, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Okay, so he had to come. He had to come and live a, uh, a sinless uh, life, but die a, a sinner's death so that he could satisfy God's justice. Okay, so nothing, no one could satisfy what God's justice demanded other than Jesus Christ. Okay, he was the only one, okay, the only one who was worthy of taking our place. It had to be done. Now, uh, let's remember, though, that God didn't have to save us if he didn't want to. Right, we don't deserve it. We've talked a lot about that. But I didn't have to save us. We could have been like the angels, right? The angels uh, sinned and uh, done, done for them, right? Out, gone, cast out. Um, we could have been like that. No salvation plan. But again, because God saw fit to love us and he wanted to save us, uh, his death was necessary for salvation. Had to happen. Christ for us was the only way, kind of like a one-way street, right? Got to go that way. Uh, no other options, Okay, God's plan uh, from the beginning 
was that his son uh, would suffer and die for you and me. It was always the way. And you know, it, it, uh, it often dawns on me, and I would say probably more than once a day, um, that I love my kids so much that it hurts. Okay, and if you're a parent, you know exactly uh, what I'm talking about here. And uh, I think any parent's greatest nightmare uh, would be that something awful would happen to their own child. You know, I don't think I really need to take it any further than that. Okay, if our hearts can literally ache um, for our kids, just imagine what God the Father was going through as he unveiled this plan, as he sent his own son to go through the horrors of the cross. He gave us his son. And the text tells us here, as we keep going, that it was to appease his wrath. It was to appease his wrath. That's a fourth thing. Okay, take a look at verse 9. Verse 9 says this, Since therefore uh, we have now been justified by his blood, uh, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Okay, so that part in there that says, uh, much more shall we be saved? I love that much more part. Okay, it, it means that, that what's to follow is even more overwhelming than what's preceded. Okay, so Paul, he's basically saying, hey, if it wasn't amazing enough, okay, that Christ justified us by his blood, literally he makes us righteous. Okay, if that wasn't amazing enough, then check this out. God also saves us from his wrath. It was kind of like, you know, you picture those, those game shows, right? And the host at the very end, he's with the winner. And he's like, hey, not only do you get to keep the $125,000 that you won, but you also get a brand new car, right? And, and the person, the contestant at the end goes crazy and totally embarrasses themselves and uh, goes insane. Okay, well, as cool as that is, okay, that's nothing compared to what Paul's saying here for all of us. He's like, uh, yeah, when you put your faith uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ, he declares you good again, which is totally wild on its own. Okay, but you don't leave with just that. You take home more. There's even more here to overwhelm you. God will never pour his wrath out on you for all of eternity. Wow. I mean, do you, do you guys get that? God's wrath is satisfied now. He has poured it out on Jesus Christ. The penalty's been paid. You're never going to be on the wrong end of that stick. Christ owned the punishment for you. Now we talked last week about God's wrath, of course, right? It is God's uh, holy and righteous hatred towards sin. And the Bible talks a lot about uh, the idea how when, when we get saved, uh, God adopts us, right? He like opens his arms and welcomes us into the family, all right? And uh, it says that, that Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 10. Okay, so for those who trust Christ, uh, we're never going to be judged again for our sin. Because Christ was judged instead of us. And I like what Wayne Grudem says about it. He says, in the same way in which Adam's sins were imputed to us, imputed means transferred, right? So we inherit this sinful nature. Um, so God imputed or transferred our sins to Christ. That is, he thought of them as belonging to Christ. 
This does not mean that God thought that Christ had himself committed the sins or that Christ himself actually had a sinful nature, but rather that the guilt of our sins was thought of by God as belonging to Christ rather than us. Pretty amazing truth, right? No more wrath. All done with that. Okay, and this is what happened when the Bible says that, that Christ bore our sins in his body, 1 Peter 2. Or when it says that God made Christ to be sin, to be sin, 2 Corinthians 5. Okay, on the cross, Jesus appeased the wrath of God. Here's another way of looking at it. Take a look back at our verse again, Romans 5, 9. Okay, verse 9, it says that we will be saved by him from the wrath of God. Okay, so yes, uh, Jesus steps in, okay, and he saves us from God's wrath. But don't forget that God, uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit make up, what? One God, right? The Trinity. And so the other way of looking at it is this. God saves us from himself. God saves us from himself. Okay, this God who is so uh, compelled to judge sin, he hates it so fiercely, but at the same time loves us so deeply, He fixes our dilemma through the most uh, loving act in the history of the world. Folks, if you're here this morning, okay, and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to hear this. Okay, the punishment your sins deserve, it's been paid in full. It's been paid in full. If you turn from your sins here this morning, salvation eternal life. It's yours. It's yours. It's not all that complicated, really. Okay, but I also want to be real, uh, real clear about this. Okay, real up front. Uh, there will be a cost to you. There will be a cost. Your life will change so much if you put your faith in Christ. Um, the way you think, the way you act, your desires, what you are all about, all of that uh, begins to change. Um, and this will put you in conflict with what the world values. Let me tell you that. It'll put you in big time conflict. It'll put you in conflict uh, with the values of friends and loved ones. Yeah, all of that can be difficult. Yeah, there's a cost to following Christ and totally out on this easy believism stuff where, you know, hey, just trust Christ and, you know, it's all going to be uh, only awesome all the time and, hey, just do it. What do you have to lose? And, you know, all of this kind of stuff. Yeah, the Bible doesn't talk about that. If I take a look at my life over the last bunch of years, I would say right now my life is harder than it ever was when I was just doing my own thing. But I will say this, way better, way better. I mean, any true follower of Jesus Christ, you would never go back to the way it was, right? Not for a second. It's awesome the way it is. Okay, but there is a cost. But I also want you to hear me uh, real loud and clear on this one. Okay, don't for a second, he don't for a second think that this cost is repayment for what Christ did. Okay, don't, don't, don't think that way. Okay, a lot of people in the church screw this up. A lot of people, I would say the majority of believers to some degree uh, mess this part up. Okay, we could never repay Christ for what he's done. Never. Even thinking that we can or trying to shows that we don't have the first clue that it's really all about God's grace. Or we don't understand that. It's a gift to us. Our redemption has been perfectly purchased. No reason to pay anything back. Our debt's been wiped clean. 
Okay, just think about a debt maybe that you have. Maybe it's uh, a student loan or it's your mortgage or a car payment, something like that. And say the bank comes to you and they're like, hey, uh, congratulations. Just wanted to let you know uh, that, the, that the debt's been taken care of. Okay? Uh, no more payments for you. Okay, how are you going to respond to that? Well, you're going to be pretty pumped about that. But you're also uh, not going to continually send checks every month because you feel bad or because you want to just pay back the bank because they're nice or whatever, right? That's a huge waste of money. There's, there's no money to pay back, right? This is what Christ has done for us. There's no such thing as paying God back. We need to get that whole idea out of our minds. Okay, the cost that I mentioned, it's going to be different for everybody. And it will be tough. Uh, but it's a, it's a sacrifice that we uh, willingly lay down before God. Right? Willingly. It's hard. It goes against our flesh. And we're going to have to wrestle with some of these things. It'll be difficult. And we all, won't always uh, do a great job of that. Okay, but ultimately, we gladly, uh, joyfully give ourselves up. Because Jesus did the same for us. Right? He did the same thing. That's our motive. And so you see then that the distinction is in the motives. Okay, we don't do good for the Lord uh, to try and earn anything from him or to try and uh, pay him back for anything. Okay, we do it because we want to honor him. We see what he's done for us. We want to show him love. Okay, no more wrath. No more fear of wrath is amazing for the believer. Okay, when, when, when the light bulb kind of flicks on, when, when, the, when the switch gets flipped and believers start to, to realize this, hey, there's no more condemnation. There's no more uh, guilt, shame, wrath, uh, judgment, penalty. None of that. Okay, Jesus took it all. Okay, when believers realize that, you're free, baby. You are. You're free and amazing things can start to happen. A lot more we could say about that, but let's keep going. Here's the last thing. Okay, God went through all of this to reconcile us with himself. To reconcile us. Okay, take a look at verse 10. Let's read this together. This is great. It says, for while we were enemies, okay, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Uh, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received a reconciliation. Okay, there's that phrase much more again, right? It keeps popping up. It also says in verse 11, uh, more than that. And so Paul, he's kind of keeping this thought going here. You know, he's like, but if you thought that Christ saving us from wrath was great, um, check out what's to come. And you kind of, you kind of picture the, the game show host again, right? It's like, yeah, you get the brand new car, but you also get the trip to Hawaii and like nine jet skis, you know, and it just like, it keeps getting better and better and better. Okay. Paul, what he's saying here is like, if, if God has the, the power and, uh, and the will to save us through the death of his son, how much more does he have uh, the power and the will to keep us saved through the life of his son? Okay, if the dying savior can reconcile us to God, surely the living Savior can keep us reconciled. Okay, obviously that word reconciled there, reconciliation, uh, is pretty important in, this, in these couple of verses, right? It pops up three times. Um, really good to highlight those. 
Okay, it literally means uh, to settle, right? Settle a dispute or, or to merge or patch up or resolve, you know, to reunite. That's what our reconciliation is, reunited with the God who made us and who loves us. Uh, Romans 5, uh, verse 1, if you just back up a couple of verses, it says that we now have peace with God. We now have peace. Same idea there. And I also love Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. I'll just read it. Okay, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I love that. We used to be separated, right? That was the problem. Now we've been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. Okay, pretty amazing there. Okay, so God restores our sin wrecked relationship and keeps it restored forever. I mean, we should be like bursting at the seams with joy when we think about that. Right? Bursting. I mean, that's what Paul's saying here in verse 11 when he's like, when we rejoice in God. Right? Sometimes we read that with kind of monotone. But like he was probably like coming out of his seat when he wrote that down. Okay? Rejoicing over this reconciliation. Nothing can separate us from the love of God anymore. Nothing. Okay, this reconciliation, I mean, that's what the whole gospel is all about. That's why we go into this series and we unpack this. This is why the church exists. For people to show and model uh, what it looks like for God to reach down and rescue his people. Right? That's the gospel right there. And it's so my heart and so uh, Todd's heart as well that our church would be gripped by this. That we would be fired up. That we would be shaken and lit. And I can't get uh, enough of hearing about God's work and this kind of thing in, uh, in your lives. And uh, just uh, this past Friday, actually, I got to hang out with uh, a guy named Dan. And uh, he was the guy I mentioned last week who uh, got saved um, a week ago Thursday. It's like 10 days ago uh, or so. And let me just tell you this. Joy all over the guy's face. Right? Joy all over his face. And I, and I kind of said like I did to you guys at the beginning. Like, hey, good work making it through uh, the sin message last week and plugging through. And he was like, whatever, man. I loved it. He's like, I just want more. I can't get enough. And then word for word, he's like, I wish every day was Sunday. Right? Amazing. Right? I mean, that, that fires up everybody. Uh, when people, people's eyes are opened and uh, God totally takes somebody uh, from dead uh, to alive in Christ. Right? That's reconciliation right there. Okay, but you know what else fires me up just as much? And sometimes it doesn't quite get as publicized and, and maybe we don't quite make as big a deal of it as we do when, when unbelievers get saved. Okay, but one of the things that fires me up just as much as that okay, is when lifelong followers of Jesus Christ start to grasp the gospel in deeper ways. Right? I love that. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, actually, um, Todd got an email from a woman in our church uh, and she was writing to him just kind of about this series and just sharing uh, what the gospel has done in, uh, in her life. And he passed it on to me. And uh, I thought I would just read uh, some of her email here. I love this. Okay, she says, growing up, uh, my parents, pastors, and friends all taught me. I read the Bible and, and other Christian books, and it could explain the gospel fairly easily. I've had the privilege of leading people to Christ even. Okay, but only very recently, uh, since coming to Harvest, and also through reading a simple book, The Transforming Power of the Gospel, okay, that book's by Jerry Bridges, 
only since reading this book has God opened my eyes and given me a heart understanding. Okay, I love that. Right, no more just head knowledge, a heart understanding of the gospel and specifically imputed righteousness. So let me jump in here for a second. Okay, earlier I mentioned this idea um, that our sin is, uh, can be imputed or transferred over to Jesus Christ when we get saved, right? That's what happens. Well, uh, imputed righteousness is just the other side of that same coin. Okay, so when we get saved, our, our sin gets transferred to him. He, he took the punishment for that. But all of his righteousness, all his perfection, all of his goodness gets transferred to us now. Okay, pretty amazing thing. That's what imputed righteousness it is. And what theologians would call the great exchange. Uh, my sin for his goodness. Let's keep going. This is what she says. She says, this has been life altering. Okay, before understanding this, I lived with constant feelings of great disapproval from God. The more I came to know God, the more I became aware of my sin and greater the condemnation. It was miserable. Sometimes I would swing to self-righteousness, but always the focus was on my performance and myself and was pride-based. But now God has shown me the amazing truth of 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he has made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There really is no condemnation, she writes. And let me assure you, uh, more than one exclamation point behind that sentence. Okay, she's excited. It is the spirit of God who opens blind eyes to this truth. And she says, I am praying that God will do a great work in people's lives through this series and that others will truly come to this awesome truth and freedom as well. It's pretty encouraging, right? To say the least. Amazing what the gospel of Jesus Christ does in our lives. You never get to the end of it. Right? I've said here before, it's, the gospel is not just for the unsaved. It's for all of us. We all need to live in light of its truth. No more earning our salvation. Salvation's been earned for us. We've been reconciled. When we grip that, there's joy. When we grip that, we love God with pure motives. That's the gospel. That's why we do this series. And next week, uh, Pastor Todd, he's going to be back with us and bringing us the fourth word, uh, believe. Fourth word is believe and talking about faith and, and what it means to put your faith in Christ and the gift uh, that faith uh, is to us. Okay, but let me just say this. Okay, you don't have to wait till then to believe in Christ. You can do it right now. Again, if you cry out to the Lord, you can do that silently. You can do that as a prayer. Okay, if you confess your sins to the Lord, he is righteous and just and will forgive you your sins. And you're a believer. Okay, it's as simple as that. If you do that here today, come find me afterwards and tell me about this. Okay, I love hearing about it. All right, let's pray. God, reconciliation is arguably the best news in the world. It's, it's not even arguable. It flat out is. And God, we, we praise you. We rejoice in this salvation, God. I pray that we wouldn't leave here um, emotionally dead from this, um, but that we would leave fired up, excited. Lord, I pray that this church would learn how to apply the gospel to their own lives, that they would take it out into the world, that more people in this community would get saved. 
they would come to know you, Lord, that they would come to experience the fact that you have paid the price for them. God, you are awesome. Lord, we are going to continue to worship you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, well, what we're going to do right now, uh, why don't you go ahead and stand. We're going to take up our hope offering. And uh, this is a way uh, that we collect to to bless people in our church who really need it. 100% of this goes to people in our church. All right, so dig deep here. And as we do this, uh, we're not going to just sing, right? We're going to worship. All right, so let's do that.